Hey, Las Vegas, thank you for joining us this week on Realty Check, your local Las Vegas real estate news show. I'm your host, Trish Williams. Thank you for tuning in. If you're watching our show, please take a moment, like, comment, share, download, tell your friends about us. If you guys are following us on any of the portals, um, Amazon, Spotify, um, in, in, anywhere out there, iTunes even, if you download the show, you'll get notified every time when we post a new show every Thursday. So you don't have to keep on looking for us. You'll be automatically notified when we release. So thank you for that. And today on our show, we have our returning guest. This show is called Coaching Corner. So on our Coaching Corner show that we have about every six weeks, we have Sharon Swanton with us, who is an amazing real estate coach, great mindset, great talk, because it's not all about real estate. We got to fill our <laughs> minds. We got to fill our souls. We yeah. got to, you know, find out what yep. what's going on. And you don't have to be a realtor or in the real estate industry to benefit from the value of coaching. Sharon's with a coaching company or she has a coaching company called right. Affinity Solutions. Yep. And Sharon, tell us a little bit about yourself for people that are seeing you for the first time. Okay. Well, I've been in real estate. This is my 45th year. So I've been in the business a very long time. I've been a broker for about 35 years. <coughs> and uh, <coughs> I've been coaching and training for, I think, around 27 years. So I've been doing this for a long time. Definitely. Um, and I, I, get a, I get a lot of benefit from helping other people be successful. You know, I, I did very well. I was a top producing salesperson. I was an award-winning manager. So I did very well in my career. And you get to a point then where your success is not as important as other people's success. And I found that because of my background and my experiences, that coaching is something that I'm uniquely good at. And I'm uniquely qualified for because of the things that I've been through. So, you are. Yeah. So <laughs> I um, agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I enjoy it. It's yes. something I really, truly, I get a lot of satisfaction from That's doing great. it. So. Yeah. That, that so that's why I'm doing it. That's good. That's good. And yes, that the a lot of people that have been in your path have been inspired by so many things, and myself even, uh, that you've done, that you've said, the way that you operate, <coughs> and uh, you know, definitely a good <coughs> leader to lead you through that. Sorry, I'm looking at my watch here for a second. It's not because I'm checking time. It's because I have those inventory numbers on here. I forgot to write them down on my sheet right. this morning. Right. <laughs> so, um, single family inventory. Um, we open the show every week talking about single family inventory and price reductions. We are at 35, 85 single family homes on the market, 644 price reductions this week. So we're seeing some changes. Yep. 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 Are, sure are. Are, are, how are your people feeling? Your, the, your coaching clients feeling with these changes? Cause I'm sure that that's like, yeah. you know, they've been struggle. calling, they've been calling for weeks asking me, um, this is not the first change I've been through. This is probably the fifth or sixth. So change is always a little unsettling, but California is still driving our market, even though it's slowing down a little bit and we're seeing more price reductions. What happens is the public is usually about 90 days behind reality and agents are usually 30 to 60 days behind reality. So what happens is you get listings going on the market with agents making the assumption and sharing with their sellers that, oh, it's a hot market, it's a seller's market, everything's going to sell in the first week, <laughs> all that story, right? I do not tell sellers of that course. anymore. No, like, right. no, we no, are not. You that's Get right. with the times. That's Don't right. listen to the news. So you're seeing <laughs> price reductions. So I've been hearing this 
I, I've heard this in several different situations. I've been, oh, prices are coming down. No, no, they're prices not. are not coming down. What's coming down are list prices. And that's because you had people listing at unrealistic values because they weren't paying attention to what was going on in the market. Actual prices are not coming down. Yes, comps so. matter again. And Absolutely that's what, right. And that's the thing. Like when it comes down to it, when a buyer's like, hey, well, the prices are down. So does that mean that this property is not worth it? And I'm like, you know what? Let me review the comps. Exactly. If the comps are saying it's okay, they priced it right, we're good. If it's off from the comps, then no, we're right. not We're not going to have a chance with this. And again, if you're financing, you're going to have that appraisal. Correct. That appraiser is the, um, you know, he's the come to, it's, it's your come to Jesus moment. Right. <laughs> he, he basically decides what that property is worth. Yes. So. And, and both buyers and sellers need to understand that it's not just their idea of what it's worth. It's actually the bank that's going to weigh in. And in the end, they have the biggest vote. Absolutely. So, and people forget that, you know, sellers get this idea. My neighbor sold for whatever, which is usually not the truth. Uh, yeah. And the buyer thinks, oh, well, the market slowed down. I can offer 10% below list. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Good luck with that. Yeah, it's not going <laughs> to work. It's not going to work. Yeah. No. So comps are the only way. And I think one of the things that has happened in the last couple of years, particularly, is that buyer's agents have gotten used to not looking at the comps. They're just assuming that you have to go in at list high price or higher yeah. in order to get it. Well, now, as a buyer's agent, you need to look at the comps mm -hmm. because they're going to show up as a part of your loan process. And even if you're working with an all-cash buyer, they would like to have an idea of value, too. So you need to, at least for yourself, but certainly for your clients, you need to look at the comps. Yeah. You need to see where this property is really at in comparison to everything else. And I do feel sorry for the new agents that started in this market because this is going to be so well. Actually, hard my experience, yeah, but my experience with that is that no matter what market you start in, you get good at that market, and then it's going to change anyway. The market yeah. always changes, yeah. and the problem with it is, you know, I, I describe it as looking at at the real estate world out of a window. So you come into the market and you're looking at it out of this window, and then pretty soon it changes. You're still looking at the same world but out of a different window. So mm -hmm. your perspective is slightly different. And it keeps doing that until eventually it comes back around to something that's familiar, but it never comes back to exactly the same window. Right. So it's familiar, but it's not exactly the same. It's what causes burnout. You know, I say agents burn out about every seven years. It's because they get tired of learning. <laughs> they get tired <laughs> of going from one window to another. Okay, it's like, stop it. You yeah. know, I don't want to learn anymore. I just want it to be the way it was. Every and, time you get comfortable, it changes. I yeah. feel that. Oh yeah. my gosh, I've, yeah. I've been through that myself. That is that is crazy. Yeah. And that is, right. like right now, one thing that I think is like a, one mind, mindset thing, before we get into like really talking about mindset, one thing that I've seen seen is everyone's kind of panicking right now like oh market's changing market's changing my personal experience is that I'm busier there's more buyers right now that are finally like yes I can finally get into a home right I'm seeing this as a good thing it not a, a bad thing, thing. I've had more thing. buyer activity than I've had in the last you know year it, it, it's a shift the sellers aren't selling in five minutes but it it it's not bad. No, no, it's a good thing. And the other thing is that what we've what we've had to do working with buyers is basically cram them into whatever they could get because they're in multiple offer situations. Their experience is that they've overpaid, they've been railroaded, even though they're happy they have a house, their experience wasn't exactly friendly, fun. Yeah. Where now there's time, 
Houses aren't going to sell in 20 minutes. If you want to think about it overnight, you can, although I don't recommend They're that. They're still selling fast. They are. Seven and, days. And I'm, so I'm my, I would always yeah. ask the question, okay, I'm, I'm fine with that, but what is it you want to think about? I want to know what you're going to think about overnight. Because really what you're going to do is ask your next door neighbor and your Aunt Tilly that lives in Arkansas and has no <laughs> idea what our market is like. So I don't really want you to do that, right? right. But there are people, and the other, but the thing is, it's not a fatal decision. If they decide to sleep on it, it won't kill the transaction. Yeah. But they may be in multiple offers by the next day. Yeah. So that's the reality. And our job is to educate. Our job is to explain how it works, explain what's going on, so that they can make a good decision. For the most part, if you give your clients good information, they will make good decisions. Absolutely. You'll have, you'll have some that won't, but most of them will. So if, they're, if they are not behaving well in your view, then you need to look at what kind of information you're giving them. Yeah. And are you really telling them what they need to know? Because, you know, we get reluctant to do that. You know, we get a very strong buyer who has a, or a seller who has a particular point of view, and they sell us. And then it, we go, I'm not sure I want to argue with this person. Well, it's not really arguing. It's really, okay, well, the information I have based on the MLS and based on the history that I can look at, this is what's going on. Yeah. That's our job. There are so many times that I have... So I, I guess second guessed myself because right. of this, you know, the, the client is saying, oh, this, it has to be this yeah. way. Right. And I've like, just kind of like let that, like they're so strong opinionated about yeah. this. Like yeah. I don't want to push them into something they, they don't want to do. But then the end of the day, I was right because I, I was right because I know I yeah. have the experience. I know yeah. what I'm doing. And it's just like, oh, if they would have only listened to me. Right. But then I look back, it's my fault because I should have been okay, more so, aggressive. Okay. It's, <laughs> and, and here's the problem because you don't want to fight with your client. Well, no, not fight. So yeah. you can't fight with them. You can't really argue with them. So all you can really say is, okay, I understand your point of view. But in my experience, because how long have you been in the business now, Trish? Seven years. Okay. Yeah. In seven years in real estate. Oh, that's why you're experiencing a little <laughs> bit of burnout. You've been in just exactly that right time it's, frame. It's, it's that special Yeah, that yeah that's special exactly moment. what's going on. Yeah. Okay, but what you can say is my experience and my research shows, and I understand you have a point of view, and I'm not arguing with your point of view, but I have a different one, and mine is based on the research that I've done with the, all of the information that I have available uh, that you don't really have access to, and I'm happy to share it with you. So if you're willing, please let me share with you what I've learned about this particular situation. And then if they go ahead and want to be stupid, there's nothing you can do about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. But at least you've done your job. Yeah. And you're not fighting with them. And you're not, because we want to say things like, you're an idiot. You believe everything you see on television and in the newspaper. And they don't have any idea what's going on. That's what we want to say. Right. But you can't do that. You have to say, okay, but I have different sources of information than right. you do. And I'd like to share those sources of information so that you can make an informed decision. Right. Well, I, I do have a thing now too, where like when I when I list a property, if a seller wants to list like fifty thousand above comps, I'm like, that's fine. Let's, you know, it's your house. I, I can't right. I can't name the price of your house. If this right. is what you want to sell at, this is fine. But you do need to sign this paper that says that I showed you the cost exactly. and that this was my price. Exactly. Because when things, if, if something goes wrong later and it's not That's selling right. or the buyers are saying it's overpriced, don't come back and tell me this is my fault. Like That's I right. didn't start this. That's exactly like, right. That's that's all. I, I don't, I will, and I will, I'll list the property. I will market it. I will do my best to do whatever I can do for that. But at the end of the day, we all know what happens. Right. 
Yeah. Right, and we also know that if we're getting no showings, the reason is usually price. Yes. We know that. Absolutely. So, and we can set them up for that in the beginning. You know, this is how the process works, and these are the things you need to know. And then you just let them learn yeah. to the extent that you have the patience to do that. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> so Sharon, talk, patience, right? This is this is a good leading into our conversation today. Right. The unconscious mind. Right. Let's talk a little bit about that and how how this affects our lives and what elements that we can of coaching can help us work through that. Okay, so I want to talk for just a minute about coaching and, and kind of how it works, what the process is. So the use the thing I like to do the most with a coaching client is have them develop a vision. So a vision is a word picture of where you're going. What is your future? Mission is how you get there, but vision is where you're going. Okay. People confuse the two all the time. I, I so, think I have, I, I don't think I ever really noticed the difference yeah, between the two, but that makes don't, sense. But most yeah. people don't. So I work with vision. So that's the first thing we do. And that takes a little time. Vision is not that easy. Then we start working with, and usually on a weekly basis, we work with, okay, what steps can you take this between now and the next time we talk, which will be in a week, what things can you do to move you toward your vision? So we create an action plan, mm -hmm. right? Then when we get together the next week, we talk about what happened. Well, sometimes what happened is I got everything done and it was great. Sometimes what happened is I don't know what happened. You know, I got up every day planning to do it. Life showed up, got in the way, didn't get any of it done, or I got half of it done. I don't know what happened. <clears throat> That's where the unconscious mind comes in. Because what is happening is the psychologists have determined that our worldview was formed sometime between the ages of four and seven. And the worldview is made up of observations and decisions that we make during that time frame. Decisions about other people, about situations, and about ourselves. I'll give you an example. Um, a four-year-old boy is out to dinner with his parents. And they're in this restaurant, and he's watching people go in and out this glass door. And they're pushing it open and going out. And they're pushing it open and coming in. And he thinks that looks like a great idea. It'd be really fun, right? So when mom and dad aren't looking, he gets up, hops over to the door, pushes on it. The door is too heavy for him to open it the way he saw other people opening it. Mm. So he can't open the door. He doesn't think the door is too heavy. What he thinks is, I'm not strong. I'm not strong like these other people. I'm not strong enough. Hmm. And so that's what stays embedded in his unconscious mind, is that he's not strong. There's variations on the theme. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not tall enough. It goes on and on and on. We have all these messages. Um, if we're very, very lucky, we've had parents who have offset that by saying, oh, you're very strong for a boy your size. You're very strong. But mostly our parents don't know that we've made these decisions because we don't talk about it when we're four. Right. We just, or ever. Or ever. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So sometime around the age of eight, we forget all these decisions, but they remain in your unconscious mind. Now, So I work with that. I work with that. I, I, will, I will say, okay, well, let's look at what got in the way, what actually got in the way. And then we'll go back and try to figure out what decision it is that your unconscious mind is saying, well, you can't do that. You can't do it that way. And there's a variety of ways that we look at that um, <clears throat> and the easiest one is usually just to ask well when did you first know that you weren't as strong as you thought you were or you weren't a strong person when did you first know that and we can usually track it back people can usually remember it sometimes takes a little more digging the thing i've been noticing recently however is i've been working with a younger person 
And this is something I hadn't thought of before, but I know quite a bit about her, her childhood and the experiences that she had as a baby. And I'm watching the decisions that she's, it's not so much the decisions that she's making, it's her response to certain things. She considers stuff to be kind of normal that I'm going, wait a minute, <laughs> hold on. You know, and I'm, so I've been thinking about why is, does this seem so normal to her? And then I think about what she went through before she was even a year old and certainly between one and two. And I think, oh, it feels normal to her because those memories are still in her unconscious mind. It's not that the decisions are there, but the memories are there. Yeah. So it seems familiar. Yeah. It seems familiar. I can relate to that a lot, you know, and, and, and a lot of people that like, you know, in their younger years had gone through a lot of stuff. stuff. Not everyone has the perfect life, right? Exactly. And yes, decisions you make when you're older, which seem, it, it doesn't seem odd or, 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 right. or weird or right. anything, right. but um, to other people, they're like, how are you? Yeah, how, how did you get there? <laughs> yeah. What's going on there? That's not okay. Yeah. It's like, what? So, yeah. so what I'm learning is kind of interesting as I'm really now paying more attention to this. What I'm learning is it's not so much the decisions, but it is your attitude, your experiences, even when you were very little that make certain things seem okay or normal or part of your experience. So they're not foreign. It's not shocking. It isn't upsetting. So you don't know that you ought to pay attention to it. Maybe look at that and go, wait, maybe that isn't, maybe that isn't such a great thing. This is especially true when you're dealing with children of your own yeah. and you're having these, these things come up. It's actually pretty obscure to get there, but I'm watching this and I'm going, okay, so, so the things that we experienced prior to the age of four that we didn't necessarily make decisions about, but it's just fam a familiar experience. Yeah. People yelling, for example. Yeah. So there are people who grow up in households where nobody ever yelled. <laughs> I grew up in a household where everybody yelled all the time. No one ever didn't yell. Exactly, <laughs> yes. exactly. So as, as a young adult, to me, yelling seemed normal, and I never questioned it. I'm looking at it now, and I'm going, well, of course it seemed normal. That's what you grew up with yeah. from the time you were a little kid. Yeah. So it, what it then does is it, it, uh, we allow things into our lives. We allow certain behaviors and certain experiences that we wouldn't allow if they didn't seem familiar. Right. And we don't question it because it seems familiar. Well, what's wrong with that? Everybody does that. Well, not everybody does do that, and you don't have to. Right. It is something that you can shift. So that's a whole new part of what I work with, um, the decisions I've been working with for a long time. But the idea that the memories shift our attitude, that the, our memories make up what we consider to be normal or not normal, and that then because we, we're familiar, it's familiar. It may not even be that we think it's normal. It's just familiar. Then we don't think to stop it or not allow it or to, to try to change it because it's familiar. Absolutely. And so, and, but it's still affecting us. Now we know that the decisions we made between the ages of four and seven are still affecting us. Those I can get to pretty easily, but this is a whole new dimension. And it's really interesting to me to realize that from the time we are very, very small, we are absorbing information that stays with us all of our lives mm -hmm. and it colors the decisions that we make and the direction that we go in. Yeah, it does make sense when you, I mean, a lot of people, when you look back, you know, if you 
follow that path all the way back, it's like, oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. It's easier to understand understand them, I guess. <laughs> well, point. and it makes you not feel quite so so odd because a lot of looking at what doesn't work, you feel like, oh my gosh, what's the matter with me? I mean, I know I had to do this. What's why? How come I can't just get up and go do it? What what's wrong here? And it's never out there. We never say. Well, some people do. I take that back. So there's kind of two kinds of people. There are people who take responsibility for where they are, and there are people who look around to try to find somebody to blame. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, But the people who take responsibility immediately go to, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I like this? I must be really screwed up, right? Well, that's not true. What's true is that you have a memory bank full of stuff that's not acting in your best interest, and you kind of have to take it apart. And when you do, then you go, oh, okay, I see. That makes perfect sense. It's weird, <laughs> and it's not helpful, but it makes perfect sense. But once you understand that, then you have power over it. Then you can go, okay, well, I don't have to do that anymore. So that's the good news, is that it, it, it's, it's fixable. It's very fixable. <laughs> it's very fixable. Yeah. It takes a little work, right. because you kind of have to get down to it, and, and, and you have to be willing to look inside. Um, not everybody is. There are people who spend their entire lives figuring out how to blame everybody and everything else. Yeah. And I call them professional victims. They go through life like that, and I feel badly for them, and I don't work with them. They yeah. don't stay with me for very long because I don't accept that. Even when things were imposed upon you, because obviously prior to the age of two, you weren't in control of anything. In fact, prior to the age of about eight or ten, you weren't control in control yeah. of very much, right? So a lot of things were imposed upon you. However, you have the authority as an adult to go back and look at those things and make a different decision. Right. So you go back and look at those things like not being able to open the door when you were four and go, yeah, okay, I was four. What was I thinking? You know, I'm, I'm strong. I'm plenty strong. I'm fine. I just was four. Mm -hmm. So it's a totally different way to look at it than I'm not strong, right. which is what we do when we internalize these experiences, these negative experiences. Right. Right. So that's a whole lot of what coaching is about. Now, the other element of coaching is just, especially for, even for my, I have non-real estate clients. So for all of them, it's kind of the same thing. Okay, what do you need to accomplish between now and the next time we get together that's consistent with your vision? What do you need to do so that we create action steps for them to do? And then what we do is we look at what gets in the way. If something gets in the way, let's look at it because probably What's getting in the way is a decision that's in your unconscious mind that's keep you from, keeping you from doing what you know you need to do. And this is interesting because a lot of coaches um, will, you know, they're, how many contacts did you make last right. week? How many people right. did you talk right. to? You know, yep. Yep. and then you're not doing it. And they're like, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Right. And, and, and so it becomes an experience where you get to be bad and wrong rather than be supportive. Right. Absolutely. So it's like, you know, and, and it's, and I've been in those situations where I'm just like, I don't want to talk to you next week. Right. Like, exactly. I don't, <laughs> exactly. I want to talk about it. Right. Like, I'm crazy. Like, let me just be me. Exactly. You know, or whatever. It's, like, exactly. It's, it's fine. But instead of that, you're getting down to, not why didn't you do it or what did you do, but like how can we, what, what is, what's going on with you mm -hmm. to where you're constantly mm -hmm. not doing what exactly. you say you're going to do. Exactly. And what happens when, when these things show up, when things get in the way? If we've got time, I'll share a story with you. I did sure. a group years ago in my favorite office in California. I did a group and I think I called it Eagle Quest or something. I don't remember what I called it, but it was a group of agents who wanted to accomplish some things that they hadn't accomplished. And I had two women in the group, so I think there were six or eight of us that we met every week. Um, 
it was probably the beginning of my coaching career, although I didn't know it. Anyway, <laughs> we had two women in there who had never knocked on doors, and they wanted to. They had farms, and they wanted to go out and get to know the people in their farms, and they wanted to knock on doors. So every week they would make a commitment to go knock on some number of doors, and every week they would come back and say they hadn't done it. And feeling very bad about themselves, right? That they hadn't done it. Oh, yeah. They're that... feeling, feeling like failures, right? Exactly. So, so, so one week, one of them came in and said, Sharon, I got all ready. I had the stuff I was going to hand out. It was next to me in the car seat. I was, dry, I was in the left turn lane to turn left in my farm, into my farm. And I suddenly realized I had to go buy ice cream. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And then you had to take it home because it was going to melt. She said, yeah. I said, okay, so let's look at, because that's how your unconscious mind works. That's what it does. It gives you a reason to not do what it is you said you were going to do. I had another woman, same thing. She came in and she said, well, I still didn't knock on doors. Now listen to this, but I rang the bell and I went, oh my God, you don't recognize that that's the same thing? She did not. To her, ringing the bell was different than knocking on the door. So she rang the bell. She had failed in her mission. Now notice how we hold things like mm -hmm. that. We make it up. It's about like the glass half full or half empty thing. Right. It's really just half a glass of water. We decide whether it's half full or half empty, and that's judgment we put on things. Yeah. And we do that all the time. It's like her ringing the doorbell wasn't knocking on doors. I'm going, that's fine. <laughs> you succeeded. It's okay. Yeah. Real, and, and the story about having to go buy ice cream, which was, that was really telling. Yeah. Because that's what we do. And so Find things, excuses. So things, well, but to her, it made perfectly good sense. At the time that came up for her, it was compelling. This is. It was compelling. She had to go buy ice cream. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what a wonderful thing the unconscious mind is in the way that it manages you to keep you from doing. Because the whole issue was really fear. She was afraid to go knock on doors and afraid to talk to strangers. And so her unconscious mind was helping her out by giving her excuses. And hey. we worked through it. She did eventually get to where she could do what she wanted. So it was a very interesting time. I, I've been in, um, you know, like past, uh, past times in, in coaching and different things where the coach, you know, again, contacts was focused on contacts. Right. You have to call, you know, 20 people a day. Right. Yeah. And I, rarely ever did right, right. <laughs> like right. rarely ever did right. so I would always again feel like a failure feel like a failure right I, I'm not doing my contacts um not doing what I'm supposed to do everything else is looking good business right. is good right. but I'm not doing this and I don't you know I don't know why it's like you know whenever I go to like pick up the phone it's like I don't want to do this right. like I, I right. you know it's like it's the rejection or whatever there's there's all these well, it's things. usually fear yeah it's usually fear and and Focusing on activities is one way to jumpstart a real estate career. There's no question about that. And there are activities that you need to do. But there's also workarounds. There's also other ways to do things besides just the one way that we normally talk about. And and that's what we had discovered. I I, I remember with this this one you know person in particular, you know this this coach. I said uh, I said look, I didn't make I didn't call 20 people. But do you know how many people I spoke with yesterday, like on, on social media, on, you know, whatever. And we were talking real estate, inbox, messengers, what, you know, different things. Right. Yes, they weren't phone calls. There was text. There was emails. Right. There was, yep. I'm 
communicating right. with more than 20 people a day. Right. And he's like, well, that makes sense of how your numbers are so good. Yeah, you're <laughs> doing like, it, you're just you... not doing it my way. Yeah, yeah, why are you telling me to make phone calls? I don't right. want to do that. No. Right. But, uh, right. but it's, you know, it's it's the, um, yeah, it, Again, it's it's finding that that you know, and again, I went through so many weeks of just saying I'm not doing it. Why? Right. What's wrong with me? You know, exactly, and, and, exactly, exactly. When the truth of the matter is, there was nothing wrong with you. That was just a way that didn't work for you. So right. you had to find a way that did. Right. And there always is. There's always there's always. So if if the coach had ever said to you, rather than why didn't you make your calls, if the coach had ever said to you, well. How else are you willing to get in touch with people you don't know? What else are you willing to do? You would have probably come up with it pretty easily mm -hmm. because yeah. you knew what you were willing to do. Yeah. I see people I talk to. I, I do all the time. And I do phone calls. I, I mean, I, I don't, I, but I, I talk to people when I, I want to talk to people. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, when I, you know, I'll, my, my people, you know, I'll call them randomly out of the blue sometimes just be like, hey, but it's, yeah. it's really because they were on my mind yeah. like I'm like hey yeah. yeah I have talked to this person in a while yeah. so let me call and reach out yeah. I don't want to have to call because I have to call right and not know what to say right right yeah exactly. or, I, I mean I know there's you know in real estate there's scripts and all that stuff but I don't, I don't like that stuff well no and, <laughs> and really the truth of the matter is we say we're in the real estate business but the truth is we are in the relationships business exactly and so if you create enough of the right relationships with the right people your real estate career is fine. Your yeah. production will be fine. Everything will be fine. Yeah. It's just a matter of having enough of the right relationships with the right people. Yeah. It's just like having a big, big, huge group of friends and treating yeah. it as so. Yeah. And you might not talk to them every single day, but when you do, mm -hmm. it uh -huh. it works. And and you can organize it and get and put some some parameters around it and do it in an organized way. Um, you didn't do it that way, and, and that's fine. But you could have. You could have yeah. easily, without without interfering with this, I don't want to call people I don't know, and I don't have anything to say, and why would they want to hear from me anyway, which is, all, you know, that's all the stuff that goes through our mind, right? Right. Um, but the truth of the matter is they're often a lot more receptive than we expect. They're actually glad to hear from a us. A lot of people are glad to hear from yeah. you when you call. Yeah, yeah. they really are. Absolutely. They really are. Absolutely. Yeah, that is good. I and I I, uh, I think that um, well, of course I, I I know that what you're doing is great because it, it's it's focusing on breaking things down, um, of understanding why we do the things that we do yep. and our unconscious mind. I mean, you hear about it all the time is how much of an effect it has, but mm -hmm. it it does. It does. It absolutely does. But it's a part of ourselves that we can learn to talk to, and we can find out because the unconscious mind makes sense in its mind. It doesn't make sense necessarily in what we're doing today. But once you understand why it's that way, um, then you can manage yourself in an entirely different way. It doesn't have to be in charge. And the other thing about the unconscious mind that's very interesting is that when you begin to do the things that it says you shouldn't, so what it does is it gives you fear and reasons why and I got to go buy ice cream. You know, it comes up with all this stuff. But when you begin to do what you want to anyway, Pretty soon, your unconscious mind has to go, oh, well, that must not be true anymore. Now what's true is this other reality. And then it begins to support you in doing what you want to do. So right. it does change. It's just that that transition can be a little bit, um, what's the right word? A little bit, it can be a little stop and go. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be 
10 steps forward, five back, right. 10 steps forward, five back, while you are in the process of getting your unconscious mind to see that what you want to do is really okay. And I think so many people don't realize, I mean, so many, there, there's so many people out there that say, well, I, this happened when I was little, I'm stuck with this the rest of my life. It yep. can't be changed. Not true. And don't realize that even if it is in your subconscious mind, it, it can be changed. It can, it can be corrected. Yep. And that is, I, I guess, the biggest lie out there is that mm -hmm. people believe that it, it's not. That's, That's what right. you're stuck with. Yeah, but you're not stuck with it. You you have much more control over your circumstances than you think. There are some some tricks to it there. For example, the unconscious mind doesn't talk to your conscious mind. You can't think your way through things. You have to act your way through things. You have to speak your way through things. Um, you can't just decide, oh, I'm going to be different tomorrow and say to your unconscious mind, and you're full of it, I'm not listening to you anymore. <laughs> it does not work that way. It's, much, it's harder work than that, but, but it, it is achievable. And the truth of the matter is your unconscious mind is there to protect you. That's how it got started doing its job is it had made all, the, all these decisions that you made and you set up this system and the system was to protect you. And it was fine when you were between the ages of four and seven. Now that you're 35, you don't need the same kind of protection. So you have to convince your unconscious mind that it doesn't need to do that anymore. Right. It, can, it can do other things and it can support you in other ways. And it's entirely possible to do that. Yeah, and that is wonderful. So people need to work on their mind, Sharon. How I do know. They, how, how, do they, <laughs> how do they get started with you? Okay, the easiest way is just call me, 702-289-1537. Or you can reach me at Sharon.Swanton at Yahoo.com. Either one will work. And um, the first conversation... Um, there's no obligation. We talk about what can and can't be done. Together we decide whether or not I can help. And if I can, then we work out a plan. I have a little one-page agreement that we sign so we all know what we're getting into, and we go from there. That's wonderful. My longest client I've been working for the longest time, is, I've been working with him for 15 years. That is, that's impressive. And it's amazing to me. He's yes. a great guy. I love him. I love his family. That's yeah, wonderful. We've been through a lot together. I, I can only imagine. Wow, that is yeah. wonderful. That's great. Um, before we end the show, um, I do have, I, I open up to listener questions. If you guys have questions that you want us to answer on the show, email them, trishwilliamsteam at gmail.com. Um, you can also uh, message them to me on Facebook or Instagram or any, anywhere, anywhere where you're watching. If there's a a spot where you can direct message me, you can direct message them. We always check our messages. We will answer listener questions here on the show. This is a really easy one. <laughs> this is a really easy one. So thank you, Lonnie. Um, Lonnie asked, if I agree to buy a home as is, can I have an inspection still? And what if the inspection fails? Okay, well, the answer is yes. You can always have an inspection. Absolutely. And, and you should. And, and you should. And I'm not sure what it means if the inspection fails. So There's no such thing as pass or fail when it comes to inspections. That's right. All you're doing is discovering what is the condition of the property and making a decision about whether or not that's a condition you want to take on. You're going to do that during the due diligence period in the contract. And do the, during the due diligence period, you can cancel the contract for any reason whatsoever. Yes. So if you find that there's more work than you want to take on, you just say, sorry, I'm not going to proceed with this transaction. Absolutely. As long as you have a due diligence period um, yeah. as, and you do your inspections or do whatever discoveries you need to do within that period, yep. you have the right to cancel any time. 
agreeing to as is doesn't mean that you can't cancel if you discover something that you're not okay with. It just means that you're agreeing that you're not asking the seller to fix anything. So whatever the discoveries are, if you continue with the purchase, you're buying you. it as is, yep. and that's it. So yep. it does not mean you're waiving all your rights there. It no. just means that you have you have to comply with everything within that time frame. Right, and depending on what state you're in, there really is no as is. There is actually here in Nevada, but you're in California. It, it's oh. a little bit different there. So, but yeah. here, but the truth is, the buyer has many many ways to get out of a contract. There's about five yeah. ways out. So, you know, you don't really have to ever be worried. You just have to be sure that you understand what your obligations and responsibilities are under the terms of the contract that you signed. Absolutely, and that is the most important thing. Yep. Let, let you know, going over your contingencies, your dates, and knowing that yep. that what what you can, um, what your rights are. Yep. Um, so. If you're watching the show, please take a moment, like, comment, download, tell your friends about us, um, share it with your friends. And again, if you download our show on whatever audio portals you're listening to, you'll be notified every week when we post a new show. Thank you for joining us. Call Sharon. Sharon can definitely help you through whatever's whatever. going on, whatever <laughs> is going on in your life and, and your, your subconscious mind is affecting that whether you want to believe it or not. So yep. let Sharon help you work through those problems. Yep. Thank you guys. See you next week.